but just November got away from me. Holidays provide an opportunity to, to give us a chance to witness to people, see people we haven't seen, uh, maybe give us an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Christmas especially, as we can kind of guide off what the purpose of Christmas is, what it's about. So we're going to talk about tonight about praying for open doors. Now, one of the foundational principles of trying to reach people for Jesus is that we have to pray for them. I mean, if we want to see lost people saved, then we have to pray. We pray for ourselves. We pray for the for the lost in general, but that we pray specifically for people as well. Prayer is crucial. Uh, historically, when you look at great revivals, when you look at what God has done in the church in advancing the gospel and seeing souls saved and lives changed, prayer was always the foundation. It was always the really the spark that lit the fire that got things going. But... While we pray for the lost, that can't be all we do. Right? God isn't likely to send an angel to stand before the lost and tell them, you need Jesus. He's not likely to give them a vision in the night or a dream to tell them, hey, go see Pastor Stacy, go see Gerald or Joe. At some point, our praying has got to lead to talking. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. At all our, our desire for the lost to be saved eventually has to hit. Somebody has to tell them. If no one tells them the truth, if no one shows them Jesus, if no one shares the word of life, they will not be saved. So our praying must lead to action. And the action is eventually sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if Gaiman is to be one for Christ, we have to pray and we have to act. And one of the ways we can pray for this is pray, what we're talking about tonight, praying for open doors. With doors being an acrostic, each letter stands for a different area of personal evangelism or spiritual growth so we can be better at personal evangelism. Now the reason we use the acronym DOOR is because a door in Scripture is sometimes referred to uh, as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Now, the references are in your paper there, but it would have been too much to put it in there. So, 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Right, so a door is a representative of opportunities that God opens so we can talk to people about Jesus. Now, this is why Paul instructs us specifically to pray for open doors. In Colossians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says, Withal, praying also, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Right, so an open door is an opportunity to talk about spiritual things, right? Spiritual things in general, the gospel in specific to someone who either has not surrendered their life to Christ, does not know Jesus, or maybe a prodigal that has fallen away. So when we're praying for God to open doors, we're praying for God to create a legitimate opportunity for us to talk to others about Jesus, about their need for Jesus specifically. Um, an open door, it is an unforced opportunity. I think that's a huge point for us to understand. As we go through life, there will be just opportunities. Moments come up where there is, in this moment, liberty and freedom to share Jesus with these people because they're questioning, they're concerning, they've opened a door for it. 
Right? So praying for open doors isn't just saying, tomorrow I'm going to walk up to Jacob at Walmart and hold him prisoner in the food aisle while I share Jesus with him. Now, I may need to do that at some point, but that's not what this is. It is praying for an unforced opportunity. It's praying that sharing Jesus will kind of be a, a natural part of the conversation. You know, conversations, if you have conversations like I do, they go all over the place. Right? They may start off about the weather or the election or the, the, all anything else. And before long, it gets into people are burdened, people are afraid, people are wondering and curious. And the, it just goes all over. And so we're praying for the, the conversation to go in a direction. So sharing Jesus is just natural. It's not, well, how's the weather? Well, it's a little, I can't believe it's this warm in December. Well, are you ready to meet Jesus tomorrow? Right? It is a natural flow of conversation. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for the person to be receptive. Right? We're praying for the open door so we not only have the chance to tell the gospel, but their hearts will be open so they can receive the gospel. And then finally, we're praying that we would see the door and would have the courage to walk through it. You know, our Sunday morning prayer time has largely been focused on Luke chapter 10. The very first one, if you remember Luke 10 and 1, was we are missionaries for Jesus who have been sent by Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus to come and do what only He can do. Praying for open doors is a way we can pray to help us live as missionaries for Jesus. Who know we have been sent by Jesus and we are going to prepare the way for Jesus so He can do what only He can do in a person's life. So the acronym DOORS, D, stands for discipline. The discipline to share the gospel. Now, in some ways, I believe it should be fairly natural for us as disciples of Jesus to talk to other people about Jesus. The Bible describes Jesus and about, and about God as taste and see the Lord is good. Right? And often it talks about in this terms of how good God is, how good Jesus is, how good the salvation we have is. Well, if God is good, if Jesus is good, if salvation is good, then a natural outflow is we would tell. Because anything else in our lives where we experience something good, we tell people, don't we? If we go to a good restaurant, we tell people. If we read a good book, we tell people. If we, if we watch a good movie, we tell people. So if we have experienced a good God, then we should tell people. Right? I mean, and then we think about who Jesus is. Right? He is, He is God who came to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day. And He calls us to come to Him for salvation. Freely forgiving us for all of our sins and taking away our shame. I mean, the person and the work of Christ, it should inspire us to tell people about Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. And while it should be natural and it should be an outflow of our lives as worshipers of God and as disciples of Jesus, it does take discipline on our part. Anything good that we're going to do in life, anything meaningful we're going to do in life, anything that is has a any sort of impact or benefit for the world at large or even for us is going to take discipline on our part. Right? So in looking to share the gospel... It takes discipline to look for opportunities. 
And that's what we have to do. We have to actively look because the opportunities rarely come up as the person saying, Gerald, are you a Christian? Can you tell me how to get saved? I mean, that, that happens, but it's, it's rare. Most of the time, what we have to do is listen carefully to what they're saying and look for the opportunities in there to, to throw out spiritual feelers to see if they're ready to hear about these things. It takes discipline to take the opportunities God provides. Uh, it takes courage. We'll talk about that again in just a second, but... It takes discipline to take advantage of that. I, I see that opportunity. Now I'm going to take it. There's a discipline there. It takes discipline to kind of guide our conversations. Right? Because if I if I'm trying if Gerald is somebody I've been praying to reach for Jesus, and I run into him at Walmart and we start talking, this is important. This is an opportunity. I'm going to want to guide the conversation in a way that it gets to spiritual. Still want it to be natural. Still want it to be a part of the conversation. But it's going to take discipline on my part to go beyond how's the weather? Y'all staying well? Boy, 2020, right? Am I right? I mean, it's going to take discipline on our part to try to move to the meaningful things in the conversation to see if people are open to it. It takes discipline to actually share the gospel once it gets to spiritual things. Yeah, I don't really understand Jesus, or I don't know about salvation, or I don't know about eternity. Well, there's, a, there's, the, there's the opening. It takes discipline then to walk through that door and actually lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He died on the cross for our sins, He rose again on the third day, and we must repent and believe in Him. Then it takes discipline to let Scripture and the Holy Spirit bring conviction. Because again, if we're, if we're emotionally invested in someone and we want to see them saved, we want to press on them. I do anyway. Maybe you're not that way. I, I want to press on them. And I want to poke. And I want to, to weigh on them. Because I want to be sure they feel the weight of what we're talking about. But if I try to do that, what I end up doing is coming across as judgmental and condemning. Right? I'm not the one who presses on people and causes them to see their need for Jesus. I tell them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit then has to press upon them. The Word has to press upon them. And it takes discipline not to see an opening or see a weakness and, and poke to try to really make them feel guilty for their sin or really make them see their need for Jesus. It takes the discipline to... Just let the Word and the Spirit have their way in a person's life. So as missionaries for Jesus who have been sent by Jesus, prepare the way for Jesus. Come and do what only He can do. We must discipline ourselves to look for, take advantage of whatever opportunities we're given to tell people about Jesus. So we should regularly pray for God to give us the discipline we need. To share Jesus without fear every time an opportunity arises. So let's take just a couple of minutes and we'll pray to ourselves and then I'll lead us in prayer and then we will move on.
Father, we come today and we love you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the privilege we have of getting to join with you in the mission Jesus started seeking and saving those who are lost. Father, we need discipline. Discipline's hard under any circumstance with pretty much any issue in the world. But an issue like this, it's really hard. Father, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, all of those push against us being disciplined in this. They try to talk us out of this. So help us to be disciplined. Help us to be disciplined, to look for the opportunities, to to turn the conversation towards spiritual things, to, to actively and actually share the gospel and then to let the Word and Spirit do the work in the person's life so they can be saved. Make us a people who are disciplined and devoted to do your will and bring you glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, second, we pray for opportunities, discipline and opportunities to share the gospel. Now, we know Scripture teaches God wants all people to be saved. Therefore, God will sovereignly work to provide opportunities for believers to share the gospel with unbelievers. I mean, you think about it, all right? So God wants all people saved. That's a, a clear teaching of Scripture. Secondly, God intends for us to be His agents to bring salvation to others. That's, that's also clear in Scripture. So if God wants to save people, and if God intends to use me, then God will create opportunities For me to engage in the mission He wants me to be a part of, to save the people He wants saved. I mean, that's just a a natural outflow of what we see in Scripture. Now, I call these divine appointments. I think I actually stole the title from uh, one of the fellows we went to Bulgaria with, divine appointments. And a divine appointment is simply when you're going through your life. You're just going throughout your normal day, your routine, your activities... And you're given an opportunity to talk to someone about spiritual things, particularly about Jesus and their need for him. Now, the book of Acts is filled with divine opportunity or divine appointments given to disciples of Jesus where they could share Jesus with unbelievers. So let's look at just a few of them. Turn to Acts three. Page 320, or I'm sorry, 832. 32832, those are basically the same numbers. And, and I'm not, we don't have time to look at all of the stories in this. We're just going to kind of hit a verse or two and then I'll tell the story uh, to be quicker. Otherwise we could be here till 8.30, 9 o'clock tonight. Acts 3 says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple in the ninth hour, uh, temple of the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them which entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon him with John, said, Look upon us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now Peter heals the guy. So Peter and John, they're not going out to heal. They're going to the temple to pray. They're on their way to church. 
And because of the way alms was in the Jewish religion, there was a person who was crippled, laid out front of the church, laid out front of the temple, where he would beg alms from those who were going in. That would be his only source of income. Peter and John see him. They look upon him. He thinks he's going to get something from them. As far as money goes, Peter says, I don't have that, but I have something else. And he takes the guy up and lifts him up. And as he lifts him up, his legs and ankles are strengthened and he's healed. Well, the story goes on and they walk into the temple. And as they're walking in the temple, this guy is doing what you would imagine somebody who's been crippled his whole life and is now suddenly healed is doing. He's jumping and leaping and praising God, which causes a stir. Because he's been laid there most of his life. And they see him. And they know. Yesterday he couldn't walk. So they gather around. And they're beginning to ask, what happened? How did this do? What did you do, Peter? What did you do, John? And there's the opportunity. The people are there. Peter and John then begin to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they, they didn't go there to heal. They didn't go there to have a Billy Graham style rally. They went there to go pray for the advancement of the gospel, for people to be saved. And as they went, God created a divine appointment to show His power and to save the lost. Look at, 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 at Acts 8, 26. The angel of the Lord said unto Philip, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down to Jerusalem and to Gaza, which is a desert. And he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Was returning, sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. So, again, Philip, though, this one is still a divine appointment, but it's not as much a... He was just going on his way. The Holy Spirit just kind of impressed upon him. Go this way. Right? So he says, okay, I feel the Lord's leading me to go this way. I go that way. And he went that way and he saw this guy. And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to him. So he goes and he joins the chair. Lo and behold, the dude is reading in the book of Isaiah. He is a God-fearer that's not a Jew. Curious about this. He asks Philip who shares the gospel and then baptizes him. Now, again, this one is more mission-oriented than the one before it because he wasn't just going on about his day, but it was just an impression. So my point with this one is, if you're ever there, you think that it's like, you feel like, maybe I should go to the park and go walk around. I just feel like I need to. I, I, just, I don't need anything at Walmart, but I feel like I ought to go to Walmart. Or I ought to just walk around the block. Don't ignore that stuff. That could very well be God working in you, setting up to create a divine appointment for you to share the gospel so someone could be saved. Look at Acts 16. I'm going to have to hurry. I can't look at all these. Sixteen, eleven. Therefore, loosing from trials, we came straight... Came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, 
which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended the things which were spoken of by Paul. Now, of course, we know the Macedonian vision. They were called there. But then they got there and there was no specific guidance. So they, they spent days there. And then on the Sabbath, they went to the river to pray. Because in, in cities where the Jews or God worshipers were, and there was no temple or there was no synagogue, they would go to the river to pray. So they went there to pray. Lo and behold, God prepared people to be there for them. Right? And, and so again, it's just a, they're going through their day. They didn't go to the river to share the gospel. They went to the river to pray. And as we could go on and on, all of these passages, uh, Acts 16, 25 through 34, they're in prison. And they're, they've been beaten. And they're singing and praising God. God opens the, the doors. They, they could escape, but they don't. The jailer sees it. He's about to kill himself because he knows they're going to kill him. And they say, no, no, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the guy's like, dude, I want what you have. And so they begin to share Jesus with him. He takes them home and they lead his whole family to Christ. Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. And while he's in Athens, the, the whole city is given to idolatry and his heart is burdened. And so he, he walks around in the marketplace and other places. And as he does, he finds these opportunities and he talks to people about Jesus. Well, people hear him talking to others about Jesus, so they invite him to the place where all of the great thinkers of Athens are. And they want him to, to give up and give a TED Talk is essentially kind of what he's doing. So he's invited up there and he gets up there and shares the gospel. But again... Paul is just, at this point, he is just devoted to Jesus and he wants to reach these people for Jesus. So he's walking around and God makes these divine appointments. So now I believe the God who made the divine appointments then is the same God who can and will make divine appointments now. I believe with really all I am, I believe this is the primary way we're supposed to make disciples. Growing up, as I'm sure you were growing up in churches, when you heard the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. The go was the primary emphasis. Go. Go stand on the street corner. Go knock doors. Go just randomly confront people with their need for Jesus. And if you, if you do that, you're faithful. And if you don't, you're questionable. But that's not really the, the emphasis in the passage. The emphasis in the passage is, is make disciples and go could actually be translated as as you're going. And again, if you think about it in the book of Acts, they never gathered on Thursday night for outreach. They never went door knocking on Saturday mornings. They didn't do a whole lot of street preaching, just randomly going out there and standing on a soapbox and screaming into a microphone. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with those things. I don't think there are. If you're gifted in that way, I think you should. If you feel led that way, I think you should. But what we see primarily in the Bible, in the book of Acts, is they knew they were on mission. They were missionaries sent by Jesus 
to go before Jesus, to prepare the way for Jesus, what only he could do. And as they went, they looked for opportunities. And as those opportunities came, they took them. And that's what we're supposed to do as well. Live our lives being aware we are missionaries for Christ. And expecting and praying for God to create these divine appointments. Let me quickly show you one passage as to why these divine appointments are so important. Turn to John 4, page 811. John 4, Jesus and the disciples are headed to Jerusalem. But, it says in verse 4, they must needs go through Samaria. They went into Samaria, they went to a town, and they stopped at a well. Jesus sends the disciples into town to get food, and he stays at the well. While he's at the well, a woman just happens to come. Now, That's not normal for a woman to come at the well at this time of the day. Normally they went in the morning when the water was cool and the sun was low or in the evening when the sun was low. To come at the heat of the day was out of the ordinary. It was not what most did. What a coincidence that Jesus just happened to be there in this time of the day when this particular woman just happened to come as well. So Jesus begins to talk to her about about spiritual things. And the conversation, again, it's a really long chapter, so we don't have time to look at it. But there's conversation, there's spiritual things. And he's leading to the fact she needs him. Right? He doesn't just jump in. He starts with, hey, why don't you give me some water? And then she he launches into the idea of spiritual water. And then he deals with her about her sin. And she tries to change the subject. But he brings it back. To the fact that, that who God is and what God's like and what they must do. And then he tells her, she mentions the Christ and he says, that's me. And at that point she runs into the city. And while she's running into the city, the disciples come back. They see him talking to a woman, which was not what Jewish men did. And talking to a Sumerian woman, which was not what Jewish people did, Period. They didn't ask him about it. He talks to them about something. And then he makes this statement. I sent you to reap whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you were entered their labors. I'm sorry, I jumped down too far. Verse 35. There are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are already white unto harvest. So he talks to them, tells them the harvest is ready. and, and, And my thinking on it is... She ran in, and at this time, she's telling him, I met a guy at the well. He told me all the things I've ever done. Couldn't this be the Christ? So the people are interested. They're running out there. Jesus is pointing at them. The people come. Jesus tells them, uh, about, starts talking to them. They believe. He stays there two days, continually teaching the gospel and about the kingdom of God. And many more believe. And really, I think the implication is most of the town is converted at this point. What would have happened if Jesus had not made that divine appointment? How important is that divine appointment in that woman's life? Not just her life, though, but for the life of the whole town. You know, the reality is we 
We don't know the far-reaching effects of one person we might reach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The person we reach could reach their entire family. I mean, we could literally change the destiny of an entire family because we look for and we take advantage of the divine opportunities God gives. So we pray for opportunities. We pray for God to give us divine appointments with people we don't know. We pray for God to give us divine appointments with people we do know. We pray for God to create circumstances where sharing the gospel is natural. Again, we're not trying to force anything. We're praying for God to prepare the unbeliever's heart to receive the gospel. We're praying for God to give opportunities for us to, to share our testimony. You know, sometimes, like the, the man of the gatherings, from what we know of that story, he didn't go and preach. Jesus told him, go and tell what good things the Lord has done for you. And so there may be an opportunity for us just to share our, our testimony. Maybe our, our salvation. The one I gave in here is the outline is life before Jesus, how I came to Jesus, life with Jesus. So that would be just our salvation. Here's what I was like before. These are the circumstances that were created that brought me to faith in Christ. Here's what's happened in my life since I came to Jesus. That may not be the testimony we give. We, if we're disciples of Jesus have been following him, we have multitude of kind of testimonies. The same sort of thing. Right. So maybe the, the trouble I was going through, the issue in my life. What led me to cry out to Jesus to help me? How Jesus came through what he did for me in and through that time. We pray for God to give us opportunities to share his love in practical ways. Right? And again, these don't have to be big things. Share his love in practical ways. Maybe we see a, someone at Walmart unloading their groceries and they're an older person who can't lift it. They're having trouble. So we just go over and we just help. Take the cart back for them. Maybe we, in the summer, we see somebody's lawns not being mowed and we know they've not been feeling well, so we're mowing ours, we just go over there and mow theirs too. Just something. When they say, why did you do this? Well, God loves you, and we want you to know we love you too. Well, there's creating opportunities, right? Just ways to show God's love to people. All right, let's pray. Take a minute or two and pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Father, we love you. We see how you work in Scripture. We know our lives are submitted to you, that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe and you are sovereign over our our lives. So we surrender to you for you to create opportunities for us this week, this very week. Opportunities maybe for us to invite someone to church. Opportunities for us to share 
Jesus, opportunities for us to talk to people about a Bible passage we studied, opportunities to share our testimony, opportunities to to actually just sit down with someone and talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We know, Father, all the people in our town who don't know you, you want them to be saved. Your desire is their salvation. And we also know you want each and every one of us to be active on mission with you. So God, create these divine appointments. Give us these opportunities, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The second O is obstacles. Now, when I talk about the need to share the gospel, that's not a surprise. When I talk about that it's important for us to be active in doing this, that God plans to work through us and he wants to save all people, none of us are going, wow, that's the first time I've heard that. Despite knowing we're supposed to be active in sharing the gospel, the reality is few of us are. I mean, if we were to have to say how many times in the last month we had shared the gospel outside of a church setting, most of us would not want to tell that in front of other people because it is so few. And I say us. I'm not saying y'all. I'm saying us. I don't share the gospel nearly as much as I wish I did as I would like to. And so for those of us who... Who are disciples of Jesus. We know we're supposed to be on mission. We want to be on mission. But we don't join the mission like we should. There are reasons. There are obstacles. Things that that stop us. From going forward and sharing the gospel. And so what we do here. We pray about the obstacles is. We we take the time to identify what our obstacle is. What is our primary issue. We look to see what the Bible says about that. And then we pray for God to do that in us. So here are some common ones. Fear. Fear of sharing the gospel is a huge obstacle and it's probably the the primary obstacle any of us have. We're afraid of how they'll respond. We're afraid it'll make things awkward. We're afraid they'll ask a question we can't understand. We're afraid we'll do it badly and condemn them to hell because we've done it badly. We, We fear something. But Scripture speaks to this. right? Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind. So, if there is fear in a moment where the opportunity is there and I feel fear, that's not God. Not not ever, not once, not at any point in time does God make me afraid of people. The fear of man bringeth a snare, the Bible says. But in trusting the Lord, there is safety. So the fear that stops me from crossing over and sharing the gospel is never from God. So I can know that. And in that moment, I can be aware of that. And I can pray, God, help me in that time to recognize that fear is not from you. And what you have given me is, is the power to speak. The love to go forward and the sound mind to think what needs to be said. Another one would be unaware. But not all obstacles are what we might call negative ones like fear. Some, like being unaware, are just a natural trait of Who we are. I am most obvious, most often oblivious to the opportunities that come up. Because I am very task oriented. If I'm at Walmart, I have a shopping list and a goal and a time frame. I want to be in and out. And so I'm not I'm not looking to talk to people. I am going in and going out. I have an objective I want to accomplish. And so very often, I am unaware of the obstacles that arise, or of the opportunities that arise. 
Um, I, I can I can think of many times I've met with someone at the, at the store or out and about, talked for a few minutes, but I was on task and I left. And later I thought, like three opportunities. I mean, I just it never even clicked in my head that it was there. So Scripture speaks to this as well. Say not again, there are four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, they are wide unto harvest. So Gaiman is white unto harvest. The fields in Gaiman are ready. All around us are people who need Jesus. The vast majority of our community does not go to church, sees no need for Jesus at, at any point in their lives. It was that way before the COVID. It's even more so after or in the midst of the COVID, whatever we're doing right now. And so the need, it's not that we don't have people. The need is for us to lift up our eyes and see, to see the people, to see the need, to see the opportunities. So we pray that God help me to have eyes to see. Help me to, to see these opportunities. So one of the things I do to help me to do this, to help me focus on this, because I am so easily task oriented. When I go to somewhere, whether it's the gym or Walmart or anywhere else, if I'm going in, when the first, as I'm walking in, I say, Lord, if there are divine appointments I need to have in here, help me to see them and take them. And then the phrase that I've used from Luke 10, I say to myself as I'm walking up, I am a missionary for Jesus. I've been sent by Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus to come and do what only He can do. Now, there's no magic in that. But what that does is remind me, I'm not primarily a Walmart shopper. And I'm not primarily a weightlifter guy at the gym. At all times, I am primarily a missionary for Jesus. And so, if I don't get to work out, but I get to talk to somebody about Jesus, that's far more important. If I run out of time and don't get to finish my shopping, but I get to talk to somebody about Jesus, that's far more important. If my food gets cold and I don't get to eat it, talking to somebody about Jesus is far more important. And so I say that. To remind myself, to get myself mentally prepared for what I'm here to do. And another one might be ignorance. And I don't mean this in a bad way, so don't get offended. But by ignorance, what I mean is we don't know how to start a conversation. Or we don't know how to transition from a natural conversation to spiritual things. Or we don't know how hard to push on sin. Or when to transition to grace. Or how many details to give about the cross or what Bible verses to use or, or even if if this particular moment is a divine appointment, we just don't know. It's not that we don't want to. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we're unaware. We just don't know. But Scripture speaks to this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Lean not in our own understanding. Don't limit yourself to what makes sense to you. For most of us, we would say it doesn't make sense for me to be the one to share the gospel with someone. And yet, Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory would be of God and not of us. So I have to say, Lord, help me out. It doesn't make sense to me to do this, but I want to do what you want me to do. Acknowledge God in all our ways. To acknowledge God in all our ways is to seek His will in all things. Right. So in relation to praying for open doors... We do praise we go send somewhere. Lord, help me to see and take advantage of any divine appointments you have for me in here. Remind ourselves we are missionaries for Jesus. That's our primary goal. We are missionaries for Jesus. 
And then the promise as we do this is God will direct our paths. God will provide the opportunities for us. Another one might be doubt. It's possible the obstacle preventing us from sharing the gospel is our doubts. We may doubt the power of the gospel to save souls, change lives. We may doubt our ability to effectively communicate the gospel. Scripture speaks to this. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word which goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that for that which I please it. It shall prosper the thing whereunto I sent it. This is a great passage, one to memorize and to pray through, because power is not in our eloquence. The power is not in our knowledge even. The power is in the Word. If we faithfully share the Bible, what the Bible says about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, that people need to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, we have done all that we can do. I mean, there's the Word and the Spirit then have to work in their life. So we can pray, God, help me to be confident in your word. And, and whatever the obstacle is, maybe none of those are yours, but whatever the obstacle is, chances are we know what it is. Right? We're aware of what holds us back. And I can almost say with 100% certainty the Bible speaks to it in some way, some form, or some fashion. So if one of these isn't your obstacle, then the need for you is to get into the Bible and find your obstacle. Or first search yourself and see what it is. Get in the Bible, find out what it says, and then begin to regularly pray against the obstacle that holds you back. Um, we're going to move on. Next is requirements to share the gospel. The word requirement refers to certain qualities believers need to have so they can faithfully and effectively share the gospel with others. There are several requirements that are absolutely necessary. First is a recognition of the absolute lostness of all people apart from Jesus. This, if we do not believe this, we will never share the gospel. We must understand all people apart from Jesus are lost and headed to hell. This includes the good moral person, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, anyone we may know or come into contact with, if they have not repented of their sins and believed on Jesus Christ, they are lost and headed to hell. We must believe that. We must be certain of that. Right? And the Bible speaks to it so many times. Right? John 3.18 He that believeth on Him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So why are they condemned? Because they're not religious? No. Because they're not moral? No. Because they've not been baptized? No. Because they've not repented of their sins and believed on Jesus Christ. John 3.36 says basically the same thing. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abideth on them. So not only are they condemned... That the wrath of God is actively on them. Right? They are at that moment by nature, Ephesians 2 says, the children of wrath. So it's not like they have to do bad things and then they'll go to hell. They're already condemned. They're already under the wrath of God. They have to do something to get out from underneath it. That is repent and believe on Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about if someone does not 
Uh, if the gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. The God of this world has blinded their minds. So if someone says, hey, I think religion's good. You ought to know something about God, but I don't really see a need to, to really be for Jesus and be just with Jesus. Well, they're lost. If someone says, well, I, if that works for you, that's fine, but I, I'm, I'm okay like I am. They're lost. Anyone who does not see the need for Jesus is lost. They are deceived by the devil. And they are perishing. We have to be totally convinced about this. We must be totally convinced all humanity apart from Jesus is absolutely and totally lost if we're going to faithfully share the gospel. We must fight against making excuses for people. And, and, and we are all tempted to do that in various ways. I was reading this week in, in my Bible. And again, where it talks about like John, where it says they didn't believe on him. I mean, do you, do you realize that there will be people who die and go to hell who believe in God? Right? Because we're not saved because we believe there's a God out there somewhere, are we? We're saved because we believe in Jesus. There will be people who die and go to hell who would say in life, I love the Lord. But because they've not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ, they're lost. And they're going to hell. We can't start making excuses for people. We must understand everyone apart from Jesus is lost and hell bound. And, and realizing this. Should have the same impact upon us it did upon Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in this body according that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Everyone stands for the judgment seat of Christ. Give an account for their life. To Paul's way of thinking that's a terrifying thought. And it motivated him to do the work of persuading people to come to Jesus. Those who live condemned, Paul knew, would stand before God and give an account. They would face final judgment and Paul doesn't want them to die and go to hell. But at the same time, Paul will stand before God and give an account for his life. And he doesn't want to have to answer as to why he spent his life on lesser things. And let people die and go to hell without trying to reach them. R.A. Torrey says, these things are not pleasant to think about. They are true. And we ought to think about them until our souls are on fire to save people from the awful condition and utter ruin in which they now are. And from the destiny of eternal shame and despair to which they are hurrying. Secondly, we must genuinely love people. In some ways, these are the main two. If we would do these two, everything else I think would work its way out. If we genuinely love someone, we can't bear the thought of them dying lost and going to hell. Everyone who has been genuinely used of God to see souls saved and lives changed had a tremendous love for others. And that, that it's really important. It's far more important than we think it is, I think. I, I read a book years ago, and it talked about why people came to Jesus. And one lady gave the story. She went to church. She'd been invited by lots of people. The reason she went this time was because the person who invited her genuinely seemed to care about her soul. Not just that she was happy, but her soul. And that stood out to her. We must love people. And if we love people, Right. Again, this is, I think, probably pretty contrary to the world. The world says if you love people, you'd say they're okay. That's not love. To love someone while they're drinking poison because it makes them happy, it's not love. It is hatred. It's evil. It's wicked. To love someone while they're dying and going to hell and not saying anything because it would make it uncomfortable, it might make them feel bad about themselves, is not love. It is self-deception. 
and callous disregard for the soul of another human being. Jesus said we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The practical application of this is what we call the golden rule. Shall love whatever you would that men would do to you, do so unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. So, again, if we would think about it, aren't you glad somebody told you about Jesus when you were lost? Aren't you glad somebody was willing to have an uncomfortable conversation with you? Aren't you glad they were willing to risk your getting angry at them so they could talk to you about your salvation and your need for Jesus? And if you were lost now, knowing what you know, wouldn't you want someone to have that conversation with you? If so, what does love compel us to do for others? Spurgeon says, if sinners be damned, let them at least leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Another one is grit. New York Times bestselling author Angela Duckworth defines grit as passion and perseverance for very long term goals. Grit is having stamina day in and day out, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years. And working really, really hard to make sure that future is a reality. Grit is living like life is a marathon and not a sprint. It takes grit to reach people for Jesus because it's hard work. Very few people come to Christ the very first time we share the gospel with them. If we truly want to see people saved, we have to, we have to put up a lot of discouragement. A lot of them telling us they don't care about it today. A lot of them saying they'll come to church when they don't. A lot of them ignoring us. A lot of them getting angry at us. A lot of them, okay, yeah, whatever. Sure, I believe, whatever. It takes grit. It takes effort. It takes perseverance on our part. That, that, is, a necess- that is a necessity because it is hard, difficult. And if we don't have grit, it is a discouraging work. 1 Corinthians 5 or 15:58 Therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abound in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord right steadfast unmovable always abound and that's grit work right there hope what i mean by hope is believing that what we do matters those who share the gospel regularly are absolutely convinced what they do in sharing the gospel can make a difference in someone's life In some ways, this goes back to believing they're lost. But in another way, it's believing God can work through me to make a difference in their life. Paul had this. Paul said in Romans 1 11, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. He said a few verses later, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. Oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hereunto that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. Paul had absolute commitment. If he got to go to Rome, he was going to help them. He would have some fruit among them. He, he knew he knew God would work through him to make a difference in their life. That's hope. That's the kind of hope we would have. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We, we should have hope that this matters. Eternally, it's significant. And then finally, S, the Spirit's power to share the gospel. All of our effort in sharing the gospel will be fruitless unless the Spirit of God enables us and moves in people's hearts. Holy Spirit regenerates people, causes them to be born again. It won't matter how much we know, how capable of a speaker we are, how good of a salesman we may be about anything else. If we speak apart from the Holy Spirit, we won't do any good. He has to convict. He has to draw. He has to save. 
So the prayer for the Holy Spirit's power would be in two ways primarily. Power our speech and convict the person. Right? Because the Holy Spirit has to work in me and the Holy Spirit has to work in them. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict. He is the only one who can convince. He is the only one who can enable us to do it. So if we are going to live as missionaries for Jesus, who have been sent by Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus, to do what only He can do in Guyman, Hooker, Texoma, and beyond, we have to pray for open doors. And this is something I think we have to pray regularly. Maybe not every day, but weekly, monthly, bi-weekly. These sort of prayers, this sort of stuff, it doesn't happen accidentally. It is something we have to put forth the effort and say, I, I am going to live as a missionary here. And I'm going to think like that. And I'm going to look for these opportunities. I'm going to take them. And so we pray. We have to pray earnestly and fervently and passionately for God to do this. And, and the reality is, God will do all of this stuff through us. He wants to. There's not a person in Gaiman God does not want to save. There's not a person in Gaiman Jesus did not die for. And there's not a person in this room God does not want to work through to save some of those people. So if we pray for open doors, God will open the doors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for all you've given and done. We are thankful that you have invited us to be a part of your mission. Father, it is a wonderful privilege to get to help people. Help people come to Jesus. Help people be saved. Help people experience the abundant life Jesus came to offer. Help people escape the wrath that is coming. Father, guide us to have the discipline. Guide us to have the opportunities. Guide us to search for our obstacles and pray against them and you destroy them. Help us, Father, to meet the requirements to be missionaries and soul winners and let your spirit fill us and let your spirit guide us and lord this week give us these opportunities and before this year is out let each of us have had at least one opportunity to talk to someone about jesus and next year use us god to plunder hell in our community in order to populate heaven we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're just